coming up on the Psychedelic Therapy Podcast. What we found when we looked at the landscape was that there was a lot of independent therapists out there who also wanted to add psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy, more specifically ketamine-assisted psychotherapy now, to their offering. But they were facing a, a quite a high barrier to entry. They, they lacked the infrastructure tools to do so. And they don't have access to a prescriber. They don't have access necessarily to a space that ensures appropriate set and setting. They don't necessarily have an awareness of the electronic or the technological options that are out there. And they need training and community. And then on top of that, what we also found was that patients were often faced with a difficult experience when they wanted to find a provider. You know, They could go to one of the CAP clinics, but if they're looking to find maybe a more personalized approach, you know, it's quite tedious to to find somebody. And so what we decided to do was to put together an offering to empower self-employed therapists so that they can have this offering and democratize access to care. Welcome to the Psychedelic Therapy Podcast, a weekly conversation series with leaders in psychedelic culture designed for therapists, healers, retreat leaders, and passionate enthusiasts. Presented by Maya and hosted by me, Eamon Armstrong. Welcome back to the Psychedelic Therapy Podcast. I'm your host, Eamon Armstrong. Jonathan Sabag is building a space and solution for independent therapists who want to provide ketamine-assisted psychotherapy, also referred to as CAP by providing a prescription service, a medically supervised location, and a community. On the show, we talk about Jonathan's startup journey and the tools they are creating to democratize access for independent psychedelic practitioners. We discuss set and setting and the journey space. We talk about vetting and training psychedelic therapists and how journey endeavors to create community. We also go over concerns around the medicalization of psychedelics. Jonathan is co-founder and CEO of Journey Clinical Inc. and is currently studying to be a psychedelic therapist himself at the new school. After 20 years in finance and entrepreneurship, he's bringing his skills and passion to the psychedelic community with the support of his own deep medicine work. As the adoption of psychedelic therapy grows worldwide, support services for independent practitioners like Journey will be invaluable. Jonathan, welcome to the Psychedelic Therapy Podcast. It's such a pleasure to meet you today, and I'm so excited to dive into Journey and to what you are creating to help democratize psychedelic therapy for individual practitioners. It's a space that is very necessary. We need to support these independent practitioners, and I'm so thrilled to hear that this is the project that you are devoted to. Thank you very much, Iman. It's a pleasure to be on. I'm looking forward to talking about it. So... I like to start a conversation about psychedelics, where many conversations about psychedelics start, which is, what was your first experience with psychedelic medicine? I don't know if my first experience is, is the one I'd start with, but I can give you a little background on my experience with psychedelics and how they've impacted my life. I spent the, the past 20 years working in finance, and... About 10 years ago, I, I suffered a pretty massive burnout. 
which really was the result of undiagnosed complex post-traumatic stress disorder. And I was, you know, bedridden. I, I couldn't move. I couldn't go to work for three months. And that started a 10-year process that included substance abuse issues and a lot of medications. And about five years ago, I was given the opportunity to attend a traditional ayahuasca ceremony. And that really was the beginning of a journey for me where I, I ended up going to 22 ayahuasca ceremonies. And I, after my second set of ceremonies, no longer used any kind of medication and moved on to working with ketamine-assisted psychotherapy. And I mean, the impact of, of working with psychedelics for me was, and it, this might sound a little corny, but generally life-changing. I, I decided to reevaluate my personal and my professional choices, and it, it led me to to feel that I no longer felt a sense of purpose in my professional career. So I decided to go back to school and become and study clinical psychology and become a psychedelic therapist. And that's how Journey was born because I, I really felt the need to integrate my past experience with where I was going. Uh, so that's one aspect of how psychedelics have really influenced my life. And the other aspect, I think psychedelics for me functioned as a as a gateway drug, but in a in a positive way, I think it helped me integrate, you know, a consistent meditation practice in my life, a very deep and rooted yoga ashtanga practice, and just a really a beautiful inner exploration. So I'm sorry, it's not it's not an answer to how my first trip was, but I I don't feel that I can reconcile so much work into one experience and that it would be relevant. I don't know if that makes sense to you. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that what it echoes is what so many have to say about psychedelics is that they are invitations to then do the deeper work yourself, to integrate and to incorporate these, you know, regular rituals. And so often meditation, yoga, journaling, a deeper engagement with community. And I think for many folks as well, the desire to get into service in this area. So how old were you when you decided you wanted to go back to school and become a psychedelic therapist? I was 38 years old, and I, I, hadn't, I didn't have a GED, so I had to do my GED and go back to school and start. So it's been a journey. Wow. Well, that's got to be very encouraging for anyone listening who is at the beginning of this path and thinking, oh, I should have gone to school for something else. What am I doing? Because it's true. You can always start. Today is when you get to start. For me personally, my first experience with ayahuasca was similar in that I was like, wait, I'm not too old to do things I love. I can change my life right now. I can, I can do what is going to make me most happy right now. And it sounds like that's uh, an experience that you had. Absolutely. You, know, you just have to do good now. It's, always, it's what yoga practice has taught me. I think that it doesn't matter how your last pose was, where you're at in your flow. You just have to drop into your body, drop into the breath now, and you can do it now. This, anybody can do it and try to do what they what they want. It's, it's it's just overcoming our own limitations and our fear, but it's very frightening sometimes. It's not easy. Yeah. Well, and I would say that now is the only time that one yes. can do good. <laughs> Indeed, <laughs> there is no other time. You know, now yeah. is the time, and yeah. then the later now is the the, the now. I, I, I would I would also add just one thing is that we shouldn't listen too much to what everybody has to say. Everybody has an opinion and it's great to collect everybody's ideas from trusted, from trusted sources, but eventually 
we have an inner voice. And I think the real courage or the real opportunity here is to listen to that inner voice and follow it because we have the answer. Mm, I love that. I love that. And it's so true. And I think that that inner voice becomes stronger the more we listen to it and the more we nurture it. So I definitely resonate with that. So when you decided you wanted to go back to school um, for clinical psychology for the sake of becoming a psychedelic therapist, what school did you choose and what programs have you, have you done in order to build those skills? I went to the new school. And I went there because they had an adult bachelor's program that allowed me to work while I was studying. They also had a, the, the possibility to get credits for your past experience, so that was good. So I did do 20 years in finance. And it turns out that they actually have quite a relationship with psychedelics. They have Ingmar Gorman, who is an alumni from that school, who's actually on our board. And that's where we met while I was in school, through a lab. So it's been a really great adventure, too. Just being a student there. And, and also, I found that my level of attention and my, my desire to learn was just so enhanced because I was choosing to be there. And it was something that I hadn't tapped into when I was younger, not going to college and not finishing my studies. And I, I, I had this thirst for knowledge that I was able to, to cater to and, and grow. And, and that helped me grow and, and be sure of myself as well. So it's, it's been a beautiful part of the, of the work that I've been doing. Mm, I love that. So you went to school because you wanted to yourself be a psychedelic therapist. And I'm guessing that along the way, certain things evolved. You were able to see different needs. You are not currently practicing as a psychedelic-assisted therapist, correct? I'm an undergrad. I've got, I've got a few years to go before my PhD. <laughs> Nice, beautiful. Well, and so what, what took you from saying, okay, I would like to be a psychedelic therapist to wanting to create an organization that would support psychedelic therapy? Well, you know, I, I enjoy business. and I enjoy being an entrepreneur. I did it for 20 years. I built two businesses. One of them was quite successful. And so it was, it's part of me. It's something that I've spent a long time honing. And integrating those skills together makes me whole, if you like. And, and that's how Journey is born, um, by, by the desire to take those skills, be of service, and be of service not only to myself, but to others and to the cause that I was trying to, or the, to the objective that I was trying to, to advance towards. And let's talk a bit about that objective, because I understand Journey to be a very mission-driven project. So tell me a little bit about your personal mission and the mission of Journey. Sure. I think that ultimately when you do this work, you want to be of service. It's just what happens after a while. And we all have certain skills and certain gifts. I found that, for example, I spent the last 20 years honing skills to be able to manage people, to build businesses, to sell, to have multidimensional relationships and understanding of, of people. And, and psychotherapy came quite naturally to me. I also wanted to work with psychedelics. I didn't feel I was a shaman. You know, I didn't grow up in the jungle and I, that's just not my calling. So 
a language that made sense to me was Western medicine. I had been in psychology, psycho psychoanalysis for quite some time. And that's where I tended towards. And bring that together, you know, how did I scale? How could I scale that? What could be a, a business objective that could incorporate those those skills and those goals? That's how Journey really was born. And so, what is the specific mission and offering of Journey itself? Sure. Well, my experience was very profound, and so I wanted to be able to do this responsibly and bring these medicines to the world responsibly. And what we found when we looked at the landscape was that there was a lot of independent therapists out there who also wanted to add psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy, more specifically ketamine-assisted psychotherapy now to their offering, but they were facing a a quite a high barrier to entry. They they lack the infrastructure tools to do so. And they don't have access to a prescriber. They don't have access necessarily to a space that ensures appropriate set and setting. They don't necessarily have an awareness of the electronic or the technological options that are out there. And they need training and community. And then on top of that, what we also found was that patients were often faced with a difficult experience when they wanted to find a provider. You know, they could go to one of the CAP clinics, but if they're looking to find maybe a, a more personalized approach, you know, it's quite tedious to, to find somebody. And I, I can actually give you a, a little experience that I had in, 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 that, in that regard. The other day, someone who runs a, a psychedelic organization asked me for a reference for a cap provider. And I, I inquired to two of maybe the most influential people in psychedelic therapy in, in New York. And after three days, they only came back with two recommendations. So that's, that's how hard it is to find a trusted provider. And so what we decided to do was to put together an offering to empower self-employed therapists so that they can have this offering and democratize access to care. And the way we do that is by giving them access first and foremost to ketamine prescriptions as a service. And so they can have prescriptions of lozenges in their offices or at the patient's home, depending on how they practice. They can have access to prescriptions for intramuscular injections for CAP at a journey location under medical supervision. The patients can do IV infusions at journey and be connected with a member therapist to work on integration. We have a space that we designed very specifically to support set and setting. And I know you want to have a little bit of a chat about that, but you know our space is very specifically designed to support the generations of insights, which we know in turn helps create long-term behavioral changes. And, and I think you'll be happy to know that the person designing our space is the co-founder of the Disorient Camp at Burning Man. Maybe his name is Pierre Legal de Carangal. Maybe you know him as the I. So he's been doing spaces for psychedelics for maybe 25 years. And um, you know we have a, a partnership with Osmind for the EHR solution, which allows for billing, scheduling, uh, measurement tools, um, administration, and the HIPAA compliant platform, and, and very much like, like Maya. And I actually, I, I wanted to salute that post that you guys did together, 
the co-opetition post, I think it's it's really great to see um, that kind of mindset in a nascent industry. We all need that. Uh, and then finally, we are, we're working with one of the leading training providers in the field. I, I can't quite give their name out because we're still in, in conversation, but to, to create a, a CAP-specific training. And, and what all of that ends up doing is, is creates a community of providers that are vetted and specifically trained. And that's easily accessible to patients in a centralized place. And we also include in our network wellness professionals who don't give CAP, but who do support integration work. So any kind of somatic work or sing therapy or stuff like that. So there's a lot in there and a lot I yes. want to talk about. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> of course, we'll talk about like building Burning Man camps at some point in this conversation because that's sure. been a, a, a love of mine for many years. But just a couple points of clarification. So Journey is not providing any psychedelic-assisted therapy itself as an organization. Simply creating the space, creating the prescriptions, and networking into other sort of integration uh, coaches or other therapists. Is that yes. an accurate? Yep. So um, a lot of the folks who listen to this podcast are psychedelic-assisted therapists themselves or aspiring to be. So this topic is going to be very interesting for them because you're right, You know, it's a huge hurdle to be able to offer these medicines in terms of FDA guidelines, you know, you said getting the prescriptions themselves. Journey is currently operating in New York City alone, is that the case? Well, we're not operating yet, we're a startup, so we're still in the funding phase, but hopefully we'll be operating, I would say, mid of next year. Yeah, we, I mean, we're sort of, many of us are in the startup phase, considering that the tides are so quickly turning in terms of the way that society in general is starting to look at, yeah. at these medicines. I, so, I think that we'll, we'll have the prescription service up before the, the space, because they're, they're kind of independent, actually. Why don't we talk a little bit about the set and setting now? I, I'm really interested to know sort of what goes into creating a space like what you have in mind for Journey. Have, have you mapped out exactly what that space is going to look like yet, or are you still in the process of making some design decisions? Do you kind of know what you want to create? We do, yeah. You know, building the Journey experience, the Journey space was very intuitive to us. It came from our experience in ceremony and what worked. So it wasn't necessarily just based on empirical data, but just how we felt in those settings. And what we found was that there's a group element, but there's also a, a solo element. And how, how do we recreate that environment that was just so effective for us? And, and you know, Pierre, as I said, has been designing spaces for psychedelics for such a long time. So his view is that he felt that ketamine resembled the crystal when you're in that space. And so it's kind of like um, you don't know that you're in a crystal when you're in the journey space, but it's designed like being in a crystal. And it's called, it's actually, it's got a name, the space, it's called Jacob. But uh, effectively, the idea is to have individual rooms that allow for people to go in with their therapist, to have a fully immersive experience. And, you know, we would start with a little meditation. Um, and it could be a, there is a, a central space, although right now with COVID, these are certain limitations, but it will end. And then, you know, people would go into their room, have their session with their therapists, come out of it, and we'd give them a little bit of food, have a little bit of time to integrate, and then, you know, go back out. So the idea is really not to, to just come in, get a shot, sit in a chair, and be shot out on the streets, which is really different from 
you know, what you're supposed to do in these circumstances. At least that's that's how we felt. And then, you know, what we want down the line is to be able to support other medicines. And so those medicines like psilocybin, like MDMA, who are much longer sessions, need an environment where people can stay, be safe. It's it's quite a different dynamic, and we're, we're planning for that as well. Yeah, in, t- in terms of planning for that dynamic, uh, one of the biggest issues, I think, around these longer journeys is just it's so cost prohibitive to have... So take, for example, the FDA trials that are currently underway for MDMA for post-traumatic stress disorder. What you're looking at in the protocol for that is two practitioners present for the entire experience. That in and of itself is enormously expensive. Um, I'm curious if in terms of considering when other medicines are coming online, if you've thought about any kind of solutions to support therapists in just the duration of the experience itself. Like, will there be journey support people available? Have you kind of thought about solving some of these problems? Yeah, we have. I think that it's, it's, it's a very difficult uh, dynamic to establish what these, these treatments are going to cost. You're right, having two therapists can be insanely expensive. I think we're talking about twenty thousand dollars for these for these treatments. Do, do, I, I did hear Rick Doblin say that you didn't necessarily need to have one MD or or a, per person, and you could probably spread that out. and And one of the the thoughts that came to our mind was to create a create a network of of sitters that could maybe help support these these sessions. So, you know, our wellness professional network would probably incorporate people who are used to working with these medicines and who who understand how to hold space. And so we would only work in an FDA-approved manner at Journey. But you know, there's a lot of people out there who know what they're doing. What is the um, particular FDA guidelines currently in, around just the ketamine therapy itself? It's completely FDA-approved, actually. It's been FDA-approved since 1970. And, you know, They've been using ketamine to to treat alcoholism in Russia for quite some time. They started in the U.S. I think in 2000, seeing its antidepressant properties, and it's one of the most used medicines in the ER today. So it's it's completely legal. It's off-label prescription, so it really is at the doctor's discretion of how comfortable they are prescribing a dose of ketamine to someone for a condition. But it's also quite low risk. I mean, there are some risks with ketamine. If you're abusing it of cystitis, and some people do abuse it, but in the context of you know a monthly session or very controlled environment, it's very low risk and is almost impossible to overdose. So when you're going to be working with these um, therapists themselves, how will you be vetting the therapists? You'll be creating a business relationship between Journey and these different therapists that are using these facilities and for whom you are doing the the prescription services. How will you vet these therapists to kind of understand whether you would put your name and your brand behind their work? That's a good question. So the way we approach that is, first of all, this... A mandatory training and there are certain trainings that are already out there that we're going to accept but if they haven't taken them they're going to have to take our training and then there is an, an evaluation process based on their experience how much time they've been practicing what kind of license they have and we have an internal review service or an internal review board that will meet with them and allow them in the network and then there's obviously going to be a set of escalation mechanisms in place if anything, if and when, unfortunately, anything goes wrong, we'll be able to address that. 
And, and you were talking about a training that Journey itself would offer. I'm curious if you can expand a little bit more on that. What do you see as absolutely necessary in a uh, therapist's journey to then becoming a psychedelic-assisted therapist? What are some of the pieces that would be part of that training? I mean, so I'm not the best person to talk about the training because it's we're going to partner up with with a train provider that I think is, is one of the best out there and who have the best experience. So they are the ones designing the training. They're the ones deciding. Uh, the, these are people who have a huge experience in psychedelic assisted psychotherapy who've been doing it for a long time. And, and you know, I, we, we rely on their guidance to, to decide what's acceptable and for them to put their name behind it because it will be you know, a, a partnership or at least powered by them, definitely. Yeah, I, I ask in part some of these questions because it, it seems like as the psychedelic medicine industry, for lack of a better term, sort of comes into shape, that there's all these different relationships with folks who have been working either in research for a long time, people who've been doing harm reduction work, people who have developed these different protocols. And it does seem like one sort of big global family where who you associate with and where you put your brand and where you put your name really matters, particularly as all of these protocols are really coming into place and people are starting to understand, okay, that's actually like the gold standard or, or this, is, this is an organization who maybe isn't quite covering everything that they need to be covering. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people keep saying that this is a bit like the Wild West and there are no, you know, no guidelines and it's, it's true. It's, it's uh, symptomatic of an emerging field. And while it is emerging, it is maturing quite quickly. You're seeing some larger players coming into the markets quite rapidly and some money investing in the field as well. And so that will mature. So I think it's, it's great to be at, at this moment in time where we're, we're in the primordial ooze of, of, of the psychedelic space. And, and you're right, who you associate with early on, I think will define who we are. But it's so small right now. We're so, we all need to, to hold together as much as we can and we need everybody to make this happen. You talked about some of these bigger players um, with money coming into the field. And I think one of the issues for these independent psychedelic-assisted therapists is that you know if a big organization comes in and they are kind of a one-stop shop for everything to do with the psychedelic experience, they've got a lot of money, they've got a lot of money for marketing, that these individual practitioners wouldn't be able to compete, wouldn't be able to find the clients wouldn't be able to find the space, that there's all sorts of aspects to this business that these therapists are not actually trained in doing, you know, a lot of the business side of things. So when you talk about democratizing access for independent practitioners, I really like that expression in the context of this evolving professional landscape with a lot of big players coming in. Is part of what is motivating what Journey is doing and your work with Journey partially that need to support those individual practitioners? Absolutely. That's even the core aspect of our offering. They're, they're the majority. There's more than a million licensed therapists in the US right now. And they already have a relationship with, you know, if you look at the patient population, maybe it's 100 million people right now post COVID suffering from depression and anxiety disorders. One organization cannot service all these people. And that also means that there's room for everybody and different approaches. But at Journey, we take the position that by empowering these therapists, that's how we, we, we have 
the best chance of you know, supporting that community and therefore helping people in need who are suffering. Mm, yeah, I really love that. Have you started developing relationships with individual practitioners? Are there folks who, I know that you know, you're in the early stages of this, of this program, but do you have practitioners who are like, you know, build the space, let's get it going, we're ready to work, we're ready to, we're ready to partner with you? Or are you already building those relationships? Yeah, I mean, we have, so first of all, we're very lucky because we have a board of directors who are plugged into that community directly. So Igmar Gorman is the chair of our scientific advisory board, and he's the founder of Fluence, which, you know, does training for psychedelics. And he has also been doing this for a very long time at MAPS with the MDMA trials. We have Casey Peleos, who is uh, the founder of Nautilus Sanctuary and uh, who's been in the MAPS trials with Igmar and also He's the science director at um, Mindbloom. And so through that interface, we started to discuss, with, have conversations with a number of people in the community uh, on what their needs are, how we can address them best. And in fact, this summer, we, we did a, a survey with 600 practitioners and tried to listen to what were the biggest pain points for them to, to be able to expand that offering and, and enter the space. Ooh, I'd love to hear about those pain points. What did you learn interviewing 600 practitioners? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the, the biggest pain point was finding access to a prescriber. That was the number one hurdle. Uh, then it was finding a community to support them. It was also finding a training that was geared towards helping them give cap. So I think those were the three main pain points, really. And how are um, practitioners currently solving? Let's let's go with the finding the a prescriber. How are how are practitioners currently going about doing that? Well, it's a lot of idiosyncratic relationships. You know, people meet. Well, they have a, they have a conversation with a prescriber, and and there's a reason for that. Actually, the reason why it's so difficult is because for a prescriber or a doctor to trust. A non-prescriber that takes quite a bit of time. Actually, it's not something that's um, scalable, you know. And they don't necessarily want to work with twenty or a hundred or a thousand people. It's very hard. So they are concerned about who they're prescribing for, who they're putting their name with. They, these are self-employed individuals who spend a lot of time building their reputation, and they they want to make sure that that's not going to be abused. And, and I think that's, that's why it's so hard. But that's how they work. They, they, they tend to have a partnership for the prescription. And it's, pretty, it's nothing new. It's, they've been doing that for prescribing you know, SSRIs or other kind of uh, medication for a long time. Actually, the majority of psychiatrists in the U.S. don't practice therapy. They, they prescribe medicine for the most part. Oh yeah, and it's it's quite expensive if you'd like a psychiatrist to also be your therapist. That Indeed. that's something that used to happen a lot more that doesn't seem to be the case any longer. As so you see your mm-hmm. psychiatrist and you get your pills and then you go talk to someone else about whether those pills are working or not. Yep. So f- for you personally, you were taking medication yourself at a certain time in your journey and you've managed to move through that through psychedelic medicine and through your meditation and yoga practice. Do you have any doubt about the efficacy of psychedelic medicine at this point? Are there any concerns you have about it? I know we're all pretty dewy-eyed in this field, many of us experiencing our own healing. Are there any concerns you have about the medicalization of psychedelics? You want to know if I have concerns about the medicalization of psychedelics or how people interpret them as a, as a means of treatment? Well, 
I guess what I'm getting at here is that for many of us in this field who are so excited to see these therapies come online, there's this idea that like the, the golden age of mental wellness is at hand. And I'm curious if you are if you feel that way or if you feel like there might be any things that we want to look out for on the horizon in terms of how these, these molecules are coming into the mainstream society. Yeah, I mean, I personally don't think psychedelics are a panacea. I think that they're a tool and they're not for everybody. I think some people benefit from them and some should stick with traditional medication. And I've seen personally some benefits to having SSRIs administered to me when they were. I'm not sure that at that moment in time, ayahuasca ceremony was what I needed. Maybe it was, but the the medicine that I received helped me. There is a... There is a reality of commercialization and you know scaling psychedelic medicines through pharmaceutical companies. That means that other pharmaceutical companies at some point are going to pick up on them. And you know some people feel like the dissociation or the trip is not posit- is not useful. Some don't, and I think it's the, the you know the jury is out on how people are going to fall. I know how where I stand, but how how medicine is going to fall on that on that question we'll see i mean it, there is there is a financial component that will definitely change how these medicines are administered but it, it's also a trade-off that is probably necessary if we want to distribute them on a larger scale but i i, I also think that we don't need to forego more some of these traditional circles and these less mainstream you know, approaches to psychedelics. And I don't think they'll go away. I don't think that you're going to get an ayahuasca ceremony in a clinic. You know, It's just not going to happen. You're not going to get an iboga ceremony with a witch doctor in Gabon in a center who administers iboga for heroin addiction. But they might cure some people who have heroin addiction in that center. So there's probably room for both. As long as... I, my, I think my, my biggest concern, if I, if I were to... Point one is that we're conscious about not destroying the resources that we have. These are natural resources. You know, if you look at the toad, a lot of people are harvesting toads or the iboga root or the. We don't want these to be industrialized. And I think some of the some of some companies out there are are working on synthesizing these substances so that they, they we don't destroy the natural resources. So that so there's some positive and it's a bit of everything in there. So, and where where will journey sit in terms of these broader processes? Let's look like five years into the future and say that journey is the solution for independent practitioners, and there are um, centers across the U.S. and you know, journey is a big player in in the field. Do you envision a future like that? And in a future like that, what are the responsibilities that you feel that that Journey would then have for for some of these concerns about, as you pointed out, the resources, um, where these medicines are coming from, or the the people who have been the wisdom keepers of these medicines? What? How do you see an evolving Journey being uh, a steward of the psychedelic Renaissance? I think we have to give them a voice and be in touch with them. We, we, we intend to have talks at Journey and, and, and create a real community because I think that's what we are in the end. It's a community offering. And you know, incorporating all these people, the indigenous people, the people who've been working with these medicines in different ways is a, is a key aspect of, of being, to, being able to 
do this work responsibly. You know, everyone at Journey has a profound relationship with psychedelics. My co-founder, who's also my my wife-to-be, Miriam, she's our CEO, and she's had quite a bit of experience with um, ayahuasca herself. And you know, we we take th- this is a hard project for us. And, and while it is a commercial venture, no doubt, we have we, we feel a sense of responsibility to to where these medicines come from. They've changed our lives, and and it's not just the medicine that's changed our lives; it's the traditions that brought them with it. Yeah, I, I feel that the the traditions from which these medicines have come are actually carry with them a worldview that is in itself healing. You know, when we're looking at mental health disorders, there's so much around issues with mental health that have to do with the alienation of our atomized lives in this sort of late stage capitalist context. And the worldview of a of that healing is holistic and that healing happens to communities and that we are all in, interconnected and that what we what we throw into the ocean is not gone into a vacuum. It's coming back to us. We're harming our these ecosystems. So so the worldview from whence these medicines come, I think, is part of the healing. And one of the issues with the industrialization of psychedelics is that that will be forgotten and that you know pharmaceutical companies or whomever may attempt to extract a molecule that may, that may alleviate a symptom, but then actually would potentially even sidestep the healing of societies and the world itself that is actually, I personally believe, the deepest promise of these medicines. Absolutely. I mean, I think they will, to be honest, and they're trying to, and they will keep trying to do that because it's um, financially viable. But I think that what we're doing at Journey, for example, empowering all these self-employed practitioners who've had this long experience and keeping, I think it's all of our responsibility as a community to, to ensure that we are guardians of those traditions of this approach of 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 the of the work of the magic that's involved in this work and i think i think we can uh, if we all stick together it's possible i couldn't agree more i i, I think the sticking together is really the key you know <clears throat> letting all these voices be heard as far as letting voices be heard, who do you have? You'd mentioned already some of the advisors to the project. I'm curious if you could share a little bit about who else is involved, what other voices are being represented to support the journey of Journey to offer these these spaces to practitioners. Sure. I mean, we're working, as I said, with Ingmar, with Casey, who are, who are quite involved in the project. We have, you know, my fiance. We have it, Pierre. And we are starting to build just a, a network of advisors who who have been in this. I can't name a, a number of people, but you know we have a network of people who have been doing this work for a long, long time. Who are psychotherapists, who are wellness professionals, who who, who know the work and who understand and who share with us. And we also got some people in the technology sector who are helping us create a solution that is that is um, viable and 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 that people will have a good time and easy time accessing. I love that. And and I, I kind of painted a picture a moment ago saying five years from now, all of these clinics. So I, I, I suppose maybe I've robbed you of the opportunity to just simply answer this question yourself. Where do you see Journey in five years, in 10 years? How do you see Journey's space in the global psychedelic community evolving as, as, as you build up this offering? We, I mean, we definitely want to scale our business. There's, there's, there's an opportunity for us to help the community at scale, this such a, a massive 
number of people that are suffering out there that we need offerings to to match that that current dynamic and so i think that as you correctly pointed out in, in five years we'd like to have you know multiple locations and be able to to service people around the country beautiful and one of the things that I always like to ask my guests on the show, I'd, I'd love to give you an opportunity to speak directly to the psychedelic therapists themselves and those aspiring to be psychedelic therapists. And I think in this particular interview, your direct, your direct line to those practitioners is actually key to your very business itself. So I'm, I'm curious, like how, how would you, what would you say directly to the people who are offering this groundbreaking medicine? Well, thank you. I think that it's wonderful what they're doing. I think they're, the courage and the passion that people are bringing to this work is inspiring. I, I, I know so because I benefit from it every day. And it's been a process working with self-employed practitioners. My, my psychiatrist is a self-employed practitioner who's been working in this field for a long time. And he's changed my life. So I'm sure they're changing the lives of a lot of other people. And that's what we want them to keep doing. We want them to keep bringing that passion and that work to the world and the way they do. It's, it's really, that's what makes it special. So for Maya, we're very interested in the data around psychedelic therapy. We're interested in what actually is going to make not only the patient's experience most efficient for their goals, but also what is going to be most nurturing for the practitioner themselves. You know, there's a lot of potential for burnout for practitioners. There's a lot of potential for, you know, these incredibly talented healers to not really optimize their ability to be business people because that's not really where their area of interest is. So with that in mind, I'd like to return to the conversation around the survey. And I'd like to know a little bit more about how that survey came into being and, and more of kind of what you've learned from those conversations. Sure. Well, first of all, what I'd like to say is that the survey came into being thanks to Fluence. And I really want to thank them for allowing us to use their network to gather the information uh, on that survey. And you know what we found was that they a lot of people in the industry are really in need of community it's a new it's a new uh, form of therapy and there's no protocol really out there and they need guidance they need support they need mentorship they need access to a community of people who have experience and what we also found was that people who have experience want to share it so there's a real desire for exchange and fostering that sense of community, which, which is quite wonderful, actually. And then, you know, all the other hurdles that we discussed earlier on, which around prescribing and spaces and uh, other tools. Yeah, that community piece is so important. And I'm glad that you brought up mentorship and those, those relationships. Can you tell me a little bit more about, in terms of what you've learned about community and how you're going to be offering that support as part of Journey, I understand that Journey is going to be a location, but it's also going to be, in a sense, a platform. So I'm curious, what sort of, how do you envision the Journey community developing? Well, what we want to do first of all is allow for, you know, maybe biweekly meetings where people can express, do a little talk, and talk about what they're doing, their art or their their practice, and share their thoughts on on their work. We also want to encourage communication between the members 
and access. Maybe you know one of the thoughts we had was to create a a, a group of elders who have experience in psychedelic treatments or in working with or even in just wellness professionals who are experienced with maybe body work or but who have been doing this work for a long time and it can help mentor some of the newer uh, practitioners in the field so that's one part of it the other part is uh, expanding on on trainings and working with our provider to to have deeper certifications maybe that they would provide it sounds it sounds like such a robust offering, and I'm happy to be having this conversation with you early on in the project because it's going to be interesting to see what hurdles you end up coming up against as this is rolling out. And I'd love to come back and do a follow-up interview with you, perhaps in a year or later. When when are you hoping to actually launch the physical space? Is that projected yet, or is it still still kind of framing that out? We're still kind of framing that out, but I think that we'll probably be able to launch the prescription service within the next you know, six to eight months and then the physical space two, three months later. So you know, in the course of next year, hopefully we'll be up and running. Beautiful. Well, you know, and especially with what's going on with COVID in terms of physical spaces, you'll probably want to be shooting for 2022 anyway. You know, let's cross our fingers that that things move a lot more quickly than that. But from a business perspective, I, I imagine there's some caution around when people are really going to be able to gather. Well, I mean, we we looked at that actually, and we solved for it through a, a series of disinfection methods and and, and hospital grade um, cleaning. So there's a way to deal with it. And you know, if you look at medical offices today, people are going there. There's a, there are a number of kits or, or ketamine infusion clinics who are opening more than one office, even in the city as we speak this year. And you can't get IV infusions at home. You can't get intramuscular injections at, at a doctor, at a psychotherapist's office or without medical supervision. So part of this work actually requires to have a medical professional around. And I think that there's enough people who want that treatment that they would go to the space. And there's ways to really protect against contamination. Mm. Well, yeah, and I think that there are so many mental health uh, concerns right now in the context of COVID. And these times of isolation and quarantine are enormously stressful in so many ways. So yeah, I guess, yeah, that offering is going to continue to be more and more pressing. But to my earlier point, I would love to circle back, you know, maybe this time next year, um, sure. and do a follow-up interview with you. And so, perhaps between now and then, you can kind of track some of some of what you're learning on this journey that we can then outsource to the community when we come back and check in with you, because you're on quite a journey right now. And <laughs> I, I, I love that your journey is so inspired by your own healing. The archetype of the wounded healer is. Is, is a beautiful, beautiful archetype, and many of us ascribe to that. And I love that it's brought you such passion that you left finance, jumped into a new undergrad at 38 years old, and building these spaces, and especially democratizing access for individual practitioners, because the individual practitioners need all the support that they can get in as this market develops, because we really want there to be many, many different kinds of offerings. And may we all heal and be healed together. Indeed. Thank you very much. And it'd be my pleasure to speak with you again. Thank you very much for having me. And so just a, a final question. How sure. can people follow you? How can people learn more about Journey? You mentioned before we started recording that you're actually going to be launching a new website. So how can people connect with you? 
Sure. We're launching a new website. I mean, we have a website up, which is uh, journey.clinic, which is available, but it's a little bit obscure because we had it uh, purposely that way for the survey. So we're going to be having a new version rollout very soon. And we have an email on there, which is info at journey.clinic, where they can reach us. I'm also available on social media. We have social media pages, and we're happy to talk to anybody who wants to reach out. Well, I'll have all of that in the show notes. And I'm sure considering the audience of this podcast, you will certainly have people reaching out and saying, "Great, actually, I need that now. Build it more quickly. (laughs) Great. (laughs) I don't want to give you the added pressure, but I'm just saying, you know, people people are going to be wanting these services. So great. We're looking forward to giving them. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the program today. And I'm really excited to see how this all develops. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. And I look forward to speaking to you soon. Thank you for joining us on the Psychedelic Therapy Podcast. If you enjoyed this show, please join the Psychedelic Therapy Facebook group to talk about it. You can also share it with your friends or leave a review on iTunes so more people can discover the show. The Psychedelic Therapy Podcast is presented by Maya, a platform designed to help psychedelic therapists manage and measure client journeys. You can head to myhealth.com to learn more. The show is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide mental health or medical advice. Thanks for listening.